0: Hello, and welcome to Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. As Marxists, we follow the example set by the Russian Revolution of 1917. This was the greatest event in human history, a milestone in the fight for a world liberated from oppression, exploitation, and war. But we're also told lots of lies about what the revolution was, were told lies about what it represented. So to go through many of these ideas, along with our regular panellists, Connor and Yara, we're also joined this month by two members of the International Socialist Alternative in Russia, Rob and Lily. Over to you four.
1: Today we're going to be talking about how did the Bolsheviks defend the Russian Revolution. Of course, it's a very significant event, the Russian Revolution, one that we talk about uh, a lot, and uh, we'll have mentioned on this podcast on a number of occasions. And it's one where there's a lot of uh, different ideas about how events went down, what role the Bolsheviks played, and how we want to appraise people like Lenin. Um, so, this is what we're going to be discussing today. And I think a good place to start, really, would be this question about. What 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 did the Russian Revolution represent? Why did the Bolsheviks even see it as something that they had to defend? What was so important and uh, worth defending about what was achieved in the Russian Revolution?
2: Um, to start with something, uh, 1917 in uh, Russia turned uh, out to be really long. So um, in the words of Marx, um, these days uh, were wo- uh, these days concentrated like a 10 year uh, in one year um so the february revolution uh you the um russian autocracy uh, so i think that uh, it was uh, the most uh, strong the the strongest uh, autocracy in the world uh, in these years uh so uh, february revolution was point maybe a signal that um, autocracies can be broken uh, and so on. Uh, So, and after it, the October revolution um, was 10 days that uh, shocked the world um, and um, did away with the capitalism and so on. Uh, So yes, uh, Russian revolution uh, represented, uh, firstly in the world, uh, represented that uh, it is really possible in real life to break, uh, to break autocracies and to uh, take power in um, hands uh, of workers and students. Um, maybe Rob uh, add, uh, will add something? Uh,
3: well, I think that Lily was right, because it wasn't one revolution in 1917, but two. Why did we need two? In many countries like Britain and so on, in France, uh, other countries, you had a revolution that initially put into power the capitalist class. And in a certain period of time, it was progressive in the sense that it united the nation, it reformed land, it um, it, it introduced elements of uh, parliamentary democracy. Uh, but when the capitalist class in February of 1917 had their revolution, they didn't do any of this. They were too weak. They were incapable. They were too afraid of the working class and the peasantry. And so, in effect, they didn't fully break with the autocracy. They tried to maintain links with it and so on and so forth. And so it needed the second revolution to introduce land reform, to give land to the peasantry. It needed a second revolution to introduce democratic rights. It needed the second revolution to give national determination to countries like Finland, to Poland, to Estonia and to other countries and so on. And of course, it needed a second revolution to introduce a Soviet democracy where workers had control of the factories and control of the economy.
4: Yeah, and I think I think this is really interesting because a lot of the time I think we forget there's another revolution that happened in the same year. Um, but I want to ask, before we get to talking about the two revolutions, why was a revolution even needed? Because I think a lot of people talk about kind of the Russian Revolution as a coup. Do you think that it was a coup? Do you like what 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 about it was a revolution? And I think another thing that, that I find really interesting in the context that of 1917 is that we're talking about the First World War, right? Like so how did something like that even happen in in the, in the duration of a war, of a massive war, the biggest war up, up until that point in time.
3: Well, a revolution was necessary because there was no democracy in Russia at all. For example, you had uh, a parliament where for every, I think it was every 10,000 workers, you had one MP, but for every 100 landlords, you had one MP. I, I have the figures are wrong, but that was the sort of thing that happened. You had uh, You had an autocracy that was prepared to use troops, to put down any movement towards democracy. We see the same today in Myanmar. We see the same today in Belarus. We see the same today in a whole number of countries. The autocracy is not prepared to allow ordinary people to take control. Therefore, you have to have a revolution. And a revolution doesn't have to be violent. February, there was, because of the spontaneous nature, um, a number of people were killed during the events, both in, in Petrograd and particularly in Moscow. Uh, But in relation to how many were killed in the war, of course, it was a very, very small group. But in the October Revolution, which was organised, which was conscious, there were very, very few um, injuries and people killed because it was disciplined. And the people that were killed were killed by the reaction who were trying to defend their rule against the democratic masses.
1: I mean, it's been mentioned, this idea of the Russian Revolution being a coup, but the slogan that the revolution was built on was not all power to the Bolshevik Party, it was all power to the Soviets. And it was was a situation where far from uh, kind of autocratic dictatorship, uh, replacing the Tsar's regime and replacing the provisional government uh, after the February Revolution, you actually had working class people themselves in power, in democratic control, in the driving seat, Uh, fighting their own oppression, and on that basis, you know, national minorities, women, LGBTQ plus people, and so on, were able to uh, win huge uh, advances and gains in their rights that you hadn't seen anywhere else in the world, and that we're still, in many ways, catching up with 100 years later. But uh, I think another point about this, that it might be interesting for some others to come in on, is that This wasn't just something that they did on a national basis. This wasn't what they just thought was the way forward for Russia. They saw this as a international revolution. And that was absolutely central both to the goals of the revolution itself, but also I think the uh, other aspects of this question about how they defended the revolution and why they defended the revolution, this internationalist perspective. So uh, maybe someone wants to come in on that as well.
2: Uh, I guess that uh, now we are um, we are concentrated on the um, international questions and uh, working uh, in international organization um, because uh, we know that um, not uh, not international socialism isn't uh, is not a true socialism and that uh, Soviet Union uh, when they um, when Stalin uh, decided to build uh, his own socialism, um, the, which is not socialism, uh, in only one country. So it was uh, his mistake. And we see that uh, it is isn't possible to uh, build a socialism in uh, one or two or a group of countries. Uh, so that's why we need and we work uh, in the international, and uh, see international perspectives
3: if i can add a bit to that as well and, and um, we have to be clear that whatever um people said in history afterwards the leaders of the Bolshevik revolution always saw it as an international revolution it, actually they thought that it would be difficult to build socialism in russia as one country because it was so backward because of the peasantry they wanted the revolution to be uh, developed in germany in france in britain And of course, in America as well. And even today, we have the same problem. How can the people in Hong Kong and Myanmar fight for their rights and gain a democratic uh, solution if they're not prepared to fight together with the masses in China to overthrow the Chinese autocracy? How can the people in Belarus get democracy if they're not linked up? With democratic movements in Russia, in Poland, in other countries, and it happens all over the world now that everything is so interrelated. There is no national solution to the problems we have. The climate change is an international solution. COVID is an international is an international solution, and we have to be an international on that basis. And that's what Lenin and Trotsky fought for all the way through until they um, uh, until they uh, died.
4: We're talking a little bit about kind of the context, the international context that was happening at the time and the fact that the entire world was fighting at the time. And I think that kind of analysis of socialism that saw the fighting and the extreme level of conflict and pointed that it's not different nations that are fighting each other. It's different capitalists uh, with different interests fighting each other. And that the interests of the working class are to unite internationally is extremely important. And also, I think kind of the, the main highlights that we need to take when we look at the Russian revolution uh, as kind of like, you know, history for us as activists today, I think you, you made really, really good kind of comparisons, Rob. And I wanted to ask because we're talking a lot about kind of the background to the revolution We're talking about kind of, you know, what it represented also the, the fact that it did kind of, um, you know, start a wave of revolutions and uh, not just in, in Russia. But I want to know, because we, we can talk a lot about kind of the theory behind it, why we need international, but how did they actually do it? What what actually happened in the revolution that kind of brought it into a place of internationalism, but also kind of how they defended um, that revolution? Like, what, what did they actually do?
3: Yes, I think because... Um... If you look at what happened at the beginning of 1917, the Bolsheviks were were a minority. They had um, probably several several thousand people in Petrograd, in Moscow and across uh, the Russian Empire. They had broken with the international movement in the sense that the international social democracy, particularly in Germany, but in France, in Britain and other countries, had supported their own capitalist class in the First World War. And the Bolsheviks never did that. They always fought against the Russian imperialists. So they started off as a minority. And two things played in their favour. First of all, I suppose a negative feature is that the other parties, the liberals and the reformers in Russia, were incapable of answering the needs of the masses. And the second thing is that the Bolsheviks were able to take the mood of the masses and to crystallize it into simple slogans, bread, land and peace, bread for the workers, land for the peasants, peace for the soldiers. And that helped to mobilize the masses. And through the course of the year, some of the period of which is very, very difficult, Lenin had to go into hiding. There was a huge witch hunt against the Bolsheviks in, in the summer of 1917 to drive them underground and so on. Trotsky was arrested and so on. That uh, very, very quickly, the masses saw that the old parties were incapable and only the Bolsheviks had an answer to take uh, society forward. And they were prepared to defend it to, to the end in order to uh, in order to uh, deliver the uh, the goods that they promised.
1: Yes, I think that that's uh, exactly right. And, uh, you know, hugely important part of uh, this question of how, how did they go about defending the revolution? Um, one of the other aspects that I think is really important uh, as, a, as a part of how they did it was, of course, domestically, they did have to get organised against the capitalists who were themselves getting organised to try and take power back into their own hands. Um, they certainly kind of didn't willingly uh, just uh, come out of power and, uh, and allow the Bolsheviks uh, to take their place, to allow the Soviets to uh, gain control over society. Um, And so they, you know, immediately started organising for the overthrow of uh, the Soviet power um, of these democratic councils of workers that were uh, uh, that were managing society. Um, And uh, as part of this, the Bolsheviks uh, began organising their own defence. They organised the Red Army um, and, uh, of course, were uh, plunged into a kind of civil war situation by these attempts of the capitalists to... Regain their power. Um, So I I guess a question that we might want to discuss is how was the Red Army organized? Uh, How was that different maybe to what we've seen in kind of armies under capitalism, the kind of armies that we might think of uh, as invading other countries? or, uh, or kind of uh, repressing uh, movements like we've seen in in many parts of the world in Myanmar, for instance, at the moment uh, was was the Red Army just a continuation of this, or was it uh, something maybe a bit different?
3: Um, we've just talked about internationalism of the revolution. Uh, let's talk about what the Bolsheviks did when they came to power. They came to power, what in uh, towards the end of October, beginning of November, depending on what um, calendar you use. Within a year, they had started to reform the medical system. They introduced education and Lily will uh, confirm uh, this. uh, But in the course of the last two or three years, a whole number of universities. And I'm talking about dozens of universities across Russia have had their 100 year anniversaries. They were set up in the five years after 1917 by the Bolsheviks. Um, You had new rights for women. You had an entered criminalization of the uh, LGBT community. There were even leading Bolsheviks who were gay activists, one of whom became an ambassador in London for the period. And uh, it was a completely different society that was that was a threat to capitalism across the world. And the capitalists knew that and they mobilized. It wasn't a civil war where there were two groups within Russia who suddenly started fighting each other. It was an international war. To put down the revolution, I know that because my great grandfather was a postal trade unionist in London, and at the end of the war, they they tr- they tried to send him to uh, Murmansk as a soldier to fight the revolution, and he and some of his comrades organised uh, organised a protest, and they weren't sent in the But the British, the Americans, the Japanese, the Germans, every country, the Czechs, they all sent troops in to try and put down the revolution. They linked up with the white armies, the reactionary generals, the monarchists, and so on. And why did the Bolsheviks win the Civil War? Not because they had better weapons. Not because they had more men fighting on their side, and actually that's the wrong word, because there were a lot of women fighting in the Red Army as well, uh, which didn't happen in the other armies. Uh, uh across uh, uh, during the civil war it's because the bolsheviks had the right approach uh, the right answer they uh, the the peasantry knew that if the bolsheviks won they would get the land if the white army won the landlords would reestablish control The same with the national minorities. If the Bolsheviks win, the national minorities could gain independence. If the White Army won, there would be one unified and unbreakable Russia. That was the uh, call of the uh, White Guard and so on. So it's two-sided. There was a military aspect to it, but there was also a political aspect to it. And that's how the Red Army were were able to defeat these 22 foreign armies that intervened into Russia.
4: Yeah, and I think think what you're saying, Rob, is really incredible to think about the the, you know the, the kind of threat that this revolution posed and i think now in kind of historic retrospect we we understand the the reason why the capitalists were kind of mobilized en masse against this but i also think that it's important to kind of look at the criticism even from the left against the revolution because we're talking a lot about Kind of the way that the capitalists treated it but today the left is kind of presenting it a lot of the time as kind of like reactionary i know obviously i'm from israel and uh i like the curriculum in israel uh obviously not left but keeps criticizing the bolsheviks for being anti-semitic saying that they were anti-semitic where as the reality of things is completely the opposite, we we were seeing in that period so many pogroms, so much racism generally, repression generally, and anti-Semitism in particular, where the Bolsheviks were actually fighting against it, and we were seeing kind of like even fascist elements uh, that, that that were kind of going against the revolution as well. So, what 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 do you think uh, about this? Like, because we're talking about kind of a situation where you had all of these imperialist countries fighting against the revolution but then criticisms also from the left so how do you think uh, that kind of sits together
2: uh, well it is uh, an interesting question I guess uh, in old time um, in all times uh, and centuries uh, how should uh, uh, um, Different parts of uh, left people uh, sit together. <laughs> um, I guess that uh, it is very important to understand that uh, mm, to um, to respect the historical true truth and uh, to tell it to uh, to speak about it to speak about uh, our history. Our is uh, uh, and uh, it is very important to. Uh, I guess to understand that in the future, uh, there will be uh, some days and uh, some revolutionary days when uh, we will need to decide uh, something really fast, not only to think about our political positions, uh, but to speak with our comrades, with our uh, contacts, with uh, people who are interested in our organization, in our uh, position in our statements and so on so um, I guess that uh, in some questions we need to have uh, our one position uh, and to speak about it with uh, anyone who who is interested in it so maybe Rob will add something
3: there's a lot of lefts who can criticize but in a situation you have to act and the Bolsheviks wanted peace. They wanted an end to the war. They did so. They signed the peace treaty with Germany. They did. Uh, and in doing so, they gave up part of Ukraine and they gave up part of the Caucasus region as well. And uh, uh, and they and they were not the ones who started the uh, civil war. The civil war was started from outside. Now, if you are attacked, if you are a striker and you're attacked by the police or by strike breakers or wing thugs on a picket line, you don't sit back and say, OK, I'm against violence. You defend yourself. And sometimes, as we know in the past, that defense has had to be quite rigid, quite quite brutal. Now, in this, after the revolution, you have the Civil War. The Bolsheviks and the working class had to defend the revolution. And it was pretty horrific. The fighting that took place in some areas was absolutely horrific. And there was famine as well across whole parts of uh, Russia. Uh, uh, as a result of the war. So it, it was a very nasty, uh, nasty time. But those people that say the Bolsheviks are anti Semite, for example, they're confusing a period. The Bolsheviks are not anti Semite. The Bolsheviks fought for the rights of the Jewish people just as they fought for the rights of all other peoples. It was Stalin and the degeneration of the revolution that brought in anti Semitism. And I can just give one example. That some lefts like to criticize the Bolsheviks as setting up the Cheka, the extraordinary commission that then became under Stalin, it became a horrific monster, became known as the KGB that still exists in reality in Russia and in uh, Belarus and so on. But the Cheka was first set up in Petrograd in order to fight Jewish pogroms in Ukraine. Because they were being organised by the right wing and the Czech was there to try and undermine the people that were organising the pogroms. So we can see that you have to look, as Lilius just said, you have to look at historical truth and what actually happened. And we have to restore that historical truth in a lot of cases and explain what the Bolsheviks did and unfortunately what happened when the revolution degenerated a lot later.
4: So yeah, I think it's important that we also talk about the fact that there were people who resisted um, the revolution, uh, the just, you know, the um, capitalists. There were pe- peasant rebellions, uh, like Kronstadt. I think the most famous one of them. Um, but what 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 do you think is the answer? Why is this violence necessary?
3: Well, the peasant the peasant rebellions they were. Uh, they were not as widespread as is sometimes put out, but nevertheless they were serious, and they were a reflection of the fact that destruction caused by the First World War, and then the Civil War, which uh, of course, um, if you fight in twenty-two armies across the uh, across the whole of the Russian Empire, um, you're gonna you're gonna have some real problems over the whole of the country in terms of destruction of land and industry and so on. So they were a reflection. Of the, of the real hardships that were taking place, there was real famine. And in fact, the, the Bolsheviks never hit that. There was an international campaign to send uh, humanitarian aid to help out the uh, starving peasants and so on, which didn't happen, of course, later under Stalin, when there was a, a much, much worse famine caused by his mistakes. And the peasant uprisings and crunched up were really a reflection of that. And it was a very, very difficult period. And actually... Um, it it led the Bolsheviks to have to change tack. They were waiting for an international revolution, which unfortunately Mm -hmm. didn't take place in Germany, although it could have done. There was all the conditions there for a revolution. So they then had to change tack. They had to liberalise the the regime and so on for a period in the hope that a new revolution would develop. And then, of course, you began to see an easing of the problems of uh, food, uh, food and so on. So it was a genuine... Obje- there was a, a really bad objective situation facing them that wasn't helped out by the failure of revolution elsewhere. And in that situation, of course, things things happen that um, yeah, certainly, in hindsight, we would try and avoid.
2: Uh, we should understand that um, after revolution, um, capitalists uh, will not just uh, put their money uh houses uh planes and so on and just oh take it oh you you made a great revolution uh this is the price Uh, no they will uh try to protect their their capital (laughs) and um um so people who uh for a lot of years um see them like and um and idols and ideal people with a lot of money, cars, planes, uh, ships and so on. Uh, Some of them can just uh, go after capitalists to protect their capital.
3: Um, Of course, Kronstadt was more than just a bad thing. It was necessary, it was a necessary evil at the time. But obviously in the future, Uh, We would hope that we can build a a strong international so that we can avoid uh, leaving a revolution isolated in a country. Uh, I suppose the analogy at the moment is the situation is facing workers and youth in Myanmar. They're facing a horrific military dictatorship. We have an interview on our site by a leader of the trade unions in Myanmar uh, this week. And um, she's she's explaining how many workers have had to go into hiding. They've had to leave. The, they've left it. They've been driven out to the factories and so on. The reality of it is many youth have joined up into militias because they see that as the only way to fight back against the military regime. Of course, we don't think that's enough. We think you have to have a political uh, campaign and um, uh, based based around the organized working class in order to fight the regime. But you see that people are put in this situation. They have no alternative but to resist. And uh, so those that talk about violence, they have to see where the violence comes from. It comes from the captives, it comes from the state, it comes from the military and from the authoritarian regime. And uh, if we have to defend ourselves to resist that, then, well, we'll have to do that.
1: I agree with what people have said really here. and. It is always worth bearing in mind the stakes that were at play here. What would have happened if the counter-revolution against the Soviets, against the Bolsheviks, had been victorious? It would have been uh, pogroms, it would have been severe repression, uh, the execution of at least uh, at least the leaders of the revolution. Um, but many bourgeois historians look at the, look at the uh, violence in the Civil War uh, on, the, on the side of the revolution with horror, but totally gloss over the, the, the much more uh, serious uh, violence, the anti-Semitism um, and so on of, of the counter-revolutionary forces. And I think it was Trotsky himself who made the point that if the Bolsheviks had failed we would be using a Russian word for fascism rather than an Italian one, because that would be where that kind of repression, um, that kind of, uh, that, yeah, that kind of authoritarianism would have come up first historically, not in Italy, but in Russia, uh, in the, in the power that overthrew or would have overthrown the Bolsheviks. But that's, uh, that, that's very different. um, This stuff that we're talking about here to what, what we talked about that came later the rise of stalinism the oppressive authoritarian regime that that uh kind of usurped the bolsheviks and the the rule of the the workers councils these soviets um and we would say that wasn't something that was kind of inevitable something that was bound to take place so how did how did we get from this uh this situation where you had a democratic workers state uh and one that clearly did have to defend itself against serious threats to one that was uh, employing yeah, a brutal regime uh, that that repressed the working class themselves uh, that that actually did <laughs> that that did kill a lot of people in in utterly kind of barbaric ways uh, and imprisoned a, a great many more
2: it is a really interesting question how we uh, how stalinism appeared Uh, I guess uh, there are a lot of factors uh, to begin with. Uh, Of course, we should uh, talk about uh, his idea of Stalinism in one country. So uh, I guess that, um, uh, of course, we uh, should uh, say that really a lot of factors, maybe uh, a lot of accidents, like uh, the death of uh, Lenin. Stalin understood that uh, now or never, so uh, he just uh, catches the moment and uh, to uh, to take power in his hands. And of course, we should uh, speak and uh, about Stalinism, about um, with uh, our maybe contacts or with um, just ordinary people that Stalinism uh, wasn't socialism because uh, For example, in our schools in Russia, uh, teachers are sure that Stalinism is socialism. And uh, it is really bad because after it, uh, after these uh, points of view, uh, people think that socialism is against women, against LGBT, and socialism just like Stalinism, but with uh, iPhones and uh, in uh, 20. uh, 21st century so we should um we should pay attention uh of uh, our uh so social medias uh of our contacts and of our comrades uh that uh, there is uh, a big difference between real socialism uh and the idea of ideas of trotsky and uh, stalinism and uh, his uh his power his autocracy his um uh, his idea of uh, uh, one country socialism which is not socialism i guess uh, this is really important for us maybe rob will add something
3: i think lily made an important point here the difference the difference between what we had in in the soviet union and what was meant by the bolsheviks was summed up in this dispute between lenin and trotsky Not because they're two different people, but because they represented different objective situations. Trotsky was the, if you like, the um, uh, the inheritor of the Bolshevik ideal of a socialist democratic state that would be internationalist where you would have, as Lily has just said, you would have rights of women, you would have freedom for LGBT, you would have national uh, uh, independence uh, if, if countries are wanted it, you would have workers' control in the factories, and in, 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 in fact, you would have uh, democratic management at every level of society, far, far more than you have in a capitalist democracy today. Now, that was Trotsky. Stalin, on the other hand, was a reflection of backward reaction Because the revolution didn't uh, extend into Germany and elsewhere, you had after the Civil War, when everything was destroyed, when the working class was not just tired, many of them had been killed in the war or they'd been pulled into doing other jobs and so on. So the workers' democracy that existed had been been, uh, pushed right back. And in that situation, you had a new layer of society came to the top, this bureaucratic elite many of whom were former Tsarist bureaucrats, and they started to implement their, um, their reactionary ideas. They, uh, they, um, they, uh, uh, they reneged on the Bolshevik idea that uh, man, a, a man and a, a woman were um, equal, not just economically, but before the law. Uh, there was no restriction on divorce, for example. You didn't have to get married uh, un, under the Bolshevik ideas, under Stalinism. They restored the family. The man is in charge. The woman has to obey the man, and that still exists in Russia today. Um, uh, The man man owns the woman. Uh, uh, Putin actually says it's okay if the man beats the woman up as long as he doesn't do it more than once a year. That's just just, uh, ordinary family uh, relationships and so on. So Stalinism was a reflection of all the reaction from the past that wouldn't have happened if there'd been a spread of the revolution internationally. But because it didn't happen, Stalinism came to the fore. And of the people that you spoke about who were in prison, who were murdered by Stalin, the vast majority of those were Bolsheviks, were supporters of the Bolshevik ideal. In order for Stalin to, uh, to rule the Soviet Union, he had to destroy all those that had the Bolshevik idealism in their heads.
4: Yeah, I always find that kind of ridiculous when people come at and kind of point fingers at us and say um, that, like, uh, and say things about Stalin because like you said Rob if we were working uh, and people who are you know part of our tradition who are working at the time were kind of put in the prisons were put in the gulags and were assassinated by Stalin uh, and, and I think that is kind of all, all, all the things that Lily and, and Rob all the things that you said I think are really really kind of crucial uh to understand that when we talk about the Russian Revolution when we talk about defending it we're not talking about defending those ideas that came after we're def- we're talking about defending true socialism socialism that uh, is part of our tradition and is part of the tradition of the working class and uh, not not part of kind of this oppressive and repressive um, form of government that developed uh, with the rise of Stalinism and uh, the bureaucracy. Uh, so I think this this was a really, really interesting discussion. I know I, I learned a lot uh, about, uh, you know, this really interesting historical period that is definitely not spoken a- enough about, especially not um, from a perspective of, you know, activists on the ground who are working towards socialism and working towards a revolution that would, you know, end in a successful solution for working class people and kind of toppling down uh, capitalism and class society in the system that's oppressing us. So thank you so much for being here. And I'll just remind uh, all of our listeners that uh, we are like, like I said so many times, uh, we are part of this tradition. Still, we are still working to get there. So uh, please go to our website. It will all be linked uh, in the description for this podcast and Uh, Join us, no matter where you are in the world, join our struggle because we're part of International Socialist Alternative. There's an international organization uh, that has uh, sections all around the world. So uh, please go to our website and uh, either make a donation or join us, which is the best way to kind of defend the ideas of the revolution that we talked about today. So thank you so much, Lily and Rob, and hopefully see you soon.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode of Revolutionary Ideas. Make sure you follow us to tune in for next month, where we'll be having a special episode hosted by our new socialist feminist alternative banner. Thanks for listening. See you then.